Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. This is the latest episode of Brian's Bookshelf, where I'll be featuring excerpts and insights from the books that have shaped me and helped me succeed. Anyone who's been to one of our live events will not be surprised by the book I'm going to reflect upon today, entitled The Richest Man in Babylon by George Clayson. Clayson wrote these initially as a series of short stories in the Denver Post during the 1920s. He actually was influenced by Russell Conwell and his story of Acres of Diamonds. And that's where the concept of ancient Babylon first came up as a setting to write a book. Now, I first came in contact with this book in 1986. I was a young immigrant looking to start my American dream. And within a few months, I had a chance to meet some successful people through my local church. Now, this is an important tip. I invited these guys for a coffee or a lunch with no expectation of anything other than gleaning some insight. Once these guys realized that I didn't want anything from them except their wisdom, they relaxed and shared their insight with me freely. The first two men I met with, within 60 days of each other, both mentioned I should read a book called The Richest Man in Babylon. A third person I met, who I asked to meet for lunch, mentioned I should listen to Jim Rohn. And it seemed in every recording of Jim Rohn, he mentioned a book called The Richest Man in Babylon. Guess what? The clues were everywhere. So I didn't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out I need to get that book and I need to read it. I personally attribute this book to jumpstarting me on the road to financial success more than anything else I've ever done. Now, I studied accounting in college and learned almost nothing about money. This little book made me a fortune. And that's why I believe formal education can make you a living, but self-development can make you a fortune. There are actually five short stories in The Richest Man in Babylon, but I'm going to focus just on the first of these parables today and the one that ultimately changed my life. The Richest Man in Babylon Tells His System In old Babylon, there once lived a certain very rich man named Arkad. Far and wide, he was famed for his great wealth. Also, he was famed for his liberality. He was generous in his charities, He was generous with his family. He was liberal in his own expenses. But nevertheless, each year his wealth increased more rapidly than he spent it. And there were certain friends of younger days who came to him and said, You, Arkad, are more fortunate than we. You have become the richest man in all Babylon while we struggle for our existence. You can wear the finest garments and you can enjoy the rarest foods, while we must be content if we can clothe our families in raiment that is presentable and feed them as best we can. Yet once we were equal, we studied under the same master, we played in the same games, and in neither of the studies nor the games did you outshine us. And in the years since, you have been no more honorable a citizen than we, nor have you worked harder or more faithfully in so far as we can judge. Why then should a fickle fate single you out to enjoy all the good things of life 
and ignore us who are equally deserving. Thereupon, Arkad remonstrated with them, saying, If you have not acquired more than a bare existence in the years since we were youths, it is because you either have failed to learn the laws that govern the building of wealth, or else you do not observe them. Fickle fate is a vicious goddess that brings no permanent good to anyone. On the contrary, she brings ruin to almost every man upon whom she showers unearned gold. She makes wanton spenders who soon dissipate all they receive and are left beset by overwhelming appetites and desires they have not the ability to gratify. Yet others whom she favors become misers and hoard their wealth, fearing to spend what they have, knowing they do not possess the ability to replace it. They are further beset by the fear of robbers and doom themselves to lives of emptiness and secret misery. Others, there probably are, who can take unearned gold and add to it and continue to be happy and contented citizens. But so few are they. I know of them, but by hearsay. Think you of the men who have inherited sudden wealth and see if these things are not so. His friends admitted that of the men they knew who had inherited wealth, these words were true. And they besought him to explain to them how he had become possessed of so much property. So he continued. In my youth, I looked about me and saw all the good things that were there to bring happiness and contentment. And I realized that wealth increased the potency of all of these. Wealth is a power. With wealth, many things are possible. One may ornament the home with the richest of furnishings. One may sail the distant seas. One may feast on the delicacies of far lands. One may buy the ornaments of the gold worker and the stone polisher. One may even build mighty temples for the gods. One may do all these things and many others in which there is delight for the senses and gratification of the soul. And when I realized all this, I declared to myself that I would claim my share of the good things of life. I would not be one of those who stand afar off, enviously watching others enjoy. I would not be content to clothe myself in the cheapest raiment that looked respectable. I would not be satisfied with the lot of a poor man. On the contrary, I would make myself a guest at this banquet of good things. Being, as you know, the son of a humble merchant, one of a large family with no hope of an inheritance, and not being endowed as you have so frankly said, with superior powers or wisdom, I decided, if I was to achieve what I desired, time and study would be required. As for time, all men have it in abundance. You, each of you, have let slip by sufficient to have made yourselves wealthy. Yet, you admit you have nothing to show except your good families, of which you can be justly proud. As for study... Did not our wise teacher teach us that learning was of two kinds? The one kind being the things we learned and knew, and the other being in training that taught us how to find out what we did not know. Therefore did I decide to find out how one might accumulate wealth. And when I had found out, to make this my task and do it well. 4. 
It is not wise that we should enjoy while we dwell in the brightness of the sunshine, for sorrows enough shall descend upon us when we depart from the darkness of the world of the Spirit. I found employment as a scribe in the Hall of Records, and long hours each day I labored upon the clay tablets. Week after week, and month after month, I labored, yet for earnings I had not to show for. Food and clothing and penance to the gods and other things of which I could remember not what absorbed all of my earnings. But my determination did not leave me. And one day, Algamish, the moneylender, came to the house of the city and ordered a copy of the Ninth Law. And he said to me, I must have this in two days. And if the task is done by that time, two coppers will I give to thee. So I labored hard, but the law was long. And when Algamish returned, the task was unfinished. He was angry, and had I been his slave, he would have beaten me. But knowing the city master would not permit him to injure me, I was unafraid. So I said to him, Algamish, you are a very rich man. Tell me how I may also become rich, and all night I will carve upon the clay, and when the sun rises, it shall be completed. He smiled at me and replied, You are a forward knave but we will call it a bargain. All that night I carved, though my back pained and the smell of the wick made my head ache until my eyes could hardly see. But when he returned at sunup, the tablets were complete. Now, I said, tell me what you promised. You have fulfilled your part of the bargain, my son, he said to me kindly, and I am ready to fulfill mine. I will tell you these things you wish to know because I am becoming an old man and an old tongue loves to wag. And when youth comes to age for advice, he receives the vision of years. But too often does youth think that age knows only the wisdom of days that are gone, and therefore profits not. But remember this, the sun that shines today is the sun that shone when my father was born, and will be shining when my last grandchild shall pass into the darkness. The thoughts of youth, he continued, are bright things that shine forth like the meteors that oft make brilliant the sky. But the wisdom of age is like the fixed stars that shine upon so unchanged that the sailor may depend upon them to steer his course. Mark you well my words, for if you do not, you will fail to grasp the truth that I will tell you. You will think that your night's work has been in vain. Then he looked at me shrewdly from under his shaggy brows and said in a low, forceful tone, I found the road to wealth when I decided that a part of all I earn was mine to keep. And so will you. Then he continued to look at me with a glance that I could feel pierce me, but said no more. Is that all? I asked. That was sufficient to change the heart of a sheep herder into the heart of a moneylender, he replied. But all I earn is mine to keep, is it not? I demanded. Far from it, he replied. Do you not pay the garment maker? Do you not pay the sandal maker? Do you not pay for the things you eat? Can you live in Babylon without spending? What have you to show for your earnings of the past month, for the past year? Fool! You pay everyone but yourself. Dullard! You labor for others. 
as well. Be a slave and work for what your master gives you to eat and wear. If you did keep for yourself one-tenth of all you earn, how much would you have in ten years? My knowledge of the numbers did not forsake me, and I answered, as much as I earn in one year. You speak but half the truth, he reported. Every gold piece you save is a slave to work for you. Every copper it earns is its child that can also earn for you. If you would become wealthy, then what you save must earn, and its children must earn, and its children's children must earn, that all may help to give you the abundance you crave. You think I cheat you for your long night's work, he continued, but I am paying you a thousand times over if you have the intelligence to grasp the truth I offer you. A part of all you earn is yours to keep. It should not be less than a tenth, no matter how little you earn. It can be as much as you can afford. Pay yourself first. Do not buy from the clothes maker and the sandal maker more than you can pay out of the rest and still have enough for food and charity and penance to the gods. Wealth, like a tree, grows from a tiny seed. The first copper you save is the seed from which your tree of wealth shall grow. The sooner you plant the seed, the sooner the tree shall grow. And the more faithfully you nourish and water that tree with consistent savings, the sooner you may bask in contentment beneath its shade. So saying, he took his tablets and went away. I thought much about what he had said to me, and it seemed reasonable. So I decided that I would try it. Each time I was paid, I took one from each ten pieces of copper and hid it away. And strange as it may seem, I was no shorter of funds than before. I noticed a little difference as I managed to get along without it. But often I was tempted as my hoard began to grow to spend it for some of the good things the merchants displayed, brought by the camels and ships from the land of the Phoenicians. But I wisely refrained. A twelfth month after Algamish had gone, he again returned and said to me, Son, have you paid to yourself not less than one-tenth of all you've earned for the past year? I answered proudly, Yes, Master, I have. That is good, he answered, beaming upon me. And what have you done with it? I have given it to Asmor, the brickmaker, who told me he was traveling over the far seas and in Tyre he would buy for me the rare jewels of the Phoenicians. When he returns, we shall sell these at high prices and divide the earnings. Every fool must learn, he growled. But why trust the knowledge of a brickmaker about jewels? Would you go to the breadmaker to inquire about the stars? No, by my tunic you would go to the astrologer, if you had the power to think. Your savings are gone. You have jerked your wealth tree up by the roots. But plant another. Try again. And next time, if you would have advice about jewels, go to the jewel merchant. If you would know the truth about sheep, go to the herdsman. Advice is one thing that is freely given away, but watch that you take only what is worth having. He who takes advice about his savings from one who is inexperienced in such matters shall pay with his savings for proving the falsity of their opinions. 
Saying this, he went away. And it was as he said, for the Phoenicians are scoundrels and sold to Asmor worthless bits of glass that look like gems. But as Algamish had bid me, I again saved each tenth copper, for now I had formed the habit, and it was no longer difficult. A twelfth month later, Algamish again came to the room of the scribes and addressed me. What progress have you made since last I saw you? I have paid myself faithfully, I replied, and my savings I have entrusted to Agar, the shield maker, to buy bronze. And each fourth month he does pay me the rental. That is good. And what do you do with the rental? I do have a feast with honey and fine wine and spice cake. Also, I have bought me a fine scarlet tunic. And someday I shall buy me a young ass upon which to ride. To which Algamish laughed. You do eat the children of your savings. Then how do you expect them to work for you? How can they have children that will also work for you? First get thee an army of golden slaves, and then many a rich banquet may you enjoy without regret. So saying, he went away again. Nor did I see him again for two years, when he once more returned, and his face was full of deep lines and his eyes drooped, for he was becoming a very old man. And he said to me, Arkad, hast thou yet achieved the wealth thou dreamed of? And I answered, Not yet, not all that I desire, but some I have, and it earns more, and its earnings earn more. And do you still take the advice of the brickmakers? About brickmaking they give good advice, I retorted. Arkad, he continued, You have learned your lessons well. You first learned to live upon less than you could earn. Next you learned to seek advice from those who are competent through their own experiences to give it. And lastly, you have learned to make gold work for you. You have taught yourself how to acquire money, how to keep it, and how to use it. Therefore, you are competent for a responsible position. I am becoming an old man. My sons think only of spending and give no thought of earning. My interests are great, and I fear too much for me to look after. If you will go to Nippur and look after my lands there, I shall make you my partner, and you shall share in my estate. So I went to Nippur and took charge of his holdings, which were large. And because I was full of ambition, and because I had mastered these three laws of successfully handling wealth, I was enabled to increase greatly the value of his properties. So I prospered much. And when the spirit of Algamish departed for the sphere of darkness, I did share in his estate as he had arranged under the law. So spoke Arkad, and when he had finished his tale, one of his friends said, You were indeed fortunate that Algamish made an heir of you. Fortunate only in that I had the desire to prosper before I met him. For four years, did I not prove my definiteness of purpose by keeping one-tenth of all I earned? Would you call a fisherman lucky, who for years so studied the habits of the fish that with each changing wind he could cast his nets about them? Opportunity is a haughty goddess who wastes no time with those who are unprepared. You had strong willpower to keep on after you lost your first year's savings. You were unusual in that way, spoke up another. Willpower, retorted Arquette. What nonsense! 
Do you think willpower gives a man the strength to lift a burden the camel cannot carry or to draw a load the oxen cannot budge? Willpower is but the unflinching purpose to carry a task you set for yourself to fulfillment. If I set for myself a task, be it ever so trifling, I shall see it through. How else shall I have confidence in myself to do important things? Should I say to myself, for a hundred days, as I walk across the bridge into the city, I will pick from the road a pebble and cast it into the stream, I would do it. If on the seventh day I pass by without remembering, I would not say to myself, tomorrow I will cast two pebbles, which will do as well. Instead, I would retrace my steps and cast the pebble. No, on the twentieth day would I say to myself, Arkad, this is useless. What does it avail to you to cast a pebble every day? Throw in a handful and be done with it. No, I would not say that, nor do it. When I set a task for myself, I complete it. Therefore, I am careful not to start difficult and impossible tasks, because I love leisure. Then another friend spoke up and said, If what you tell me is true, and it does seem as if you have said reasonable, then being so simple, if all men did it, there would not be enough wealth to go around for everyone. Wealth grows wherever men exert energy, Arkad replied. If a rich man builds him a new palace, is the gold he pays out gone? No. The brickmaker has a part of it, and the laborer has a part of it, and the artist has a part of it, and everyone who labors upon the house has part of it. Yet when the palace is completed, is it not worth all its cost? And is the ground upon which it stands not worth more because it is there? And is the ground that adjoins it not worth more because it is there? Wealth grows in magic ways. No man can prophesy the limit of it. Have not the Phoenicians built great cities on barren coasts with the wealth that comes from their ships of commerce on the seas? What then do you advise us to do that we also may become rich? Asked still another of his friends. The years have passed and we are no longer young men and we have nothing put by. I advise that you take the wisdom of Algamish and say to yourselves, A part of all I earn is mine to keep. Say it in the morning when you arise. Say it at noon. Say it at night. Say it each hour of every day. Say it to yourself until the words stand out like letters of fire across the sky. Impress yourself with the idea. Fill yourself with the thought. Then take whatever portion seems wise. Let it be not less than one-tenth and lay it by. Arrange your other expenditures to do this if necessary. But lay by that portion first. Soon you will realize what a rich feeling it is to have something upon which you alone have claim. As it grows, it will stimulate you. A new joy of life will thrill you. Greater efforts will come to you to earn more. For of your increased earnings, will not the same percentage be also yours to keep? Then, learn to make your treasure work for you. Make it your slave. Make its children and its children's children work for you. Ensure any income for thy future. Look at the aged, and forget not that in the days to come thou also will be numbered among them. Therefore, invest thy treasure with greatest caution that it not be lost. 
Usurious rates of return are deceitful sirens that sing to lure the unwary upon the rocks of loss and remorse. Provide also that thy family may not want should the gods call thee to their realms. For such protection is always possible to make provisions with small payments at regular intervals. Therefore, the provident man delays not in expectation of a large sum becoming available for such a wise purpose. Counsel with wise men. Seek the advice of men whose daily work is handling money. Let them save you from such an error as I myself made in entrusting my money to the judgment of Asmor, the brickmaker. A small return and a safe one is far more desirable than risk. Enjoy life while you are here. Do not overstrain or try to save too much. If one-tenth of all you earn is as much as you can comfortably keep, be content to keep this portion. Live otherwise according to your income and let not yourself be niggardly and afraid to spend. Life is good and life is rich with the things worthwhile and the things you enjoy. His friends thanked him and went away. Some were silent because they had no imagination and could not understand. Some were sarcastic because they thought that one so rich should divide with his friends, not so fortunate. But some had in their eyes a new light. They realized that Algamish had come back each time to the room of the scribes because he was watching a man work his way out of the darkness into the light. When that man had found the light, a place awaited him. No one could fill that place until he had for himself worked out his own understanding, until he was ready for opportunity. These latter were the ones who in the following years frequently revisited Arkad, who received them gladly. He counseled with them and gave them freely of his wisdom, as men of broad experience are always glad to do. And he assisted them to so invest their savings that it would bring in a good interest with safety and would neither be lost nor entangled in investments that paid no dividends. The turning point in these men's lives came upon that day when they realized the truth that had come from Algamish to Arkad and from Arkad to them, that a part of all you earn is yours to keep. Well, that's the book that made me a millionaire. Now, there are more stories in the full Richest Man in Babylon, but the story of Arkad is the main story. And that's the story that made me a fortune because I applied it. Reading out a book and recording it like that is a different experience. And it's interesting even today. I mean, I don't know how many times literally I've read that book. I've read that book to my kids as a story time, bedtime at night. I've shared that book with so many people. In fact, when we would do our events, I remember a few years ago, we had 3,000 people up in Monterey, California, and we would go there all the time. And I went across the street during the lunch break, and there were two bookstores in town, and they had stacks of The Richest Man in Babylon on tables ready for sale. Why? Because they knew I would endorse it from stage, because we had come back to that Monterey Convention Center so many times. So I've endorsed this book. I've helped sell hundreds and hundreds of thousands of copies. But I can tell you it was a unique experience reading it for you today. There's language that's old. I mean, you hear little words that in our culture today, make the money your slave and turn it into your slave. Well, that's kind of a jarring word in our language today. You hear the word niggardly. You know, in 1926, they use different language. Niggardly is miserly. 
And so you wanted to keep it authentic and keep it real. You have to translate it. Don't get your knickers in a twist, as they say in Ireland, over some of the, the language that was used in the 1920s. George Clayson was a beautiful man who helped inspire many people. So what I'm going to do with these Brian Bookshelf editions is bring either a, a chapter or an excerpt of a book that's had a huge impact on me. I live an awesome life today. I've become a very successful man. But I want you to know it's because of the books I've read, the people I've met, the tapes I've listened, the classes I've taken, the mentoring and the coaching I've received. Then I've applied it. Then I've put those things down in writing, whether it be a book, whether it be audio programs like this, or whether it be in our events. So I share with you, uh, not that I'm the oracle of all knowledge, certainly, but I've found a bunch of things that have influenced me, and I want to bring them to you. So CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News is not covering The Richest Man in Babylon tonight, but The Brian Buffini Show is, and that's why we're bringing it to you. So what I want to do in these episodes of Brian's Bookshelf is kind of share with you, here are the principles I took and I applied that made a big deal for me, and a couple of how-tos of how I did it. So first of all, it's kind of interesting, at the end of the book it says the word, the turning point. It's interesting because that was the name of the first training seminar that I conducted for thousands and thousands of times all over North America. We called it the Turning Point Retreat. So uh, you'll find out a little bit of where I get my stuff today. So the principles from Arcad to Algamish, and from Algamish to Brian Buffini, and from Brian Buffini to you, that's what I'm giving you today. So the first one I think is pretty obvious. A part of all you earn is yours to keep. Everybody says that. Everybody says, pay yourself first. You know, people know the phrase, I pay myself first, and they can spout it all day long, but very few people do it. Very few people do it. So how do I apply this? By automatic withdrawals from my checking account to my savings account. Automatic withdrawals into 401ks and retirement plans. Automatic withdrawals into stock and investment accounts. And automatic withdrawals into my real estate accounts, which became the platforms of my fortune. Now, to give you some encouragement, folks, as the great Zig Ziglar would always say, you don't have to be great to start, but you do have to start to be great. My bride and I, when we first started doing these automatic withdrawals, it was 27 years ago, and we started with $50 every two weeks. Okay? And it was on the 3rd of the month and on the 17th of the month. Now, the beautiful thing is every bank has this ability to do this. You can do this online if you want. Now, what I want you to know is that the more choices you have to make with money, the more decisions you have to make, and the more times you have to touch it, the worse you'll do. I have deposited money into my savings account on the 3rd and the 17th of every month for 27 years and never missed a day. Is that some phenomenal willpower like Arcad talked about? Absolutely not. You see, in our world today, you can set it up automatically. So how did I build a fortune on $50 every two weeks? Well, once I started living within my means, then it went to that magical one-tenth. And so what happened is it went from $50 to $100 to $300 to $500. And the only thing that's changed over the years is the zeros have increased. And from that savings account, I built the platform of, okay, getting six months reserves for my expenses, getting six months reserve for my business. Then I went and said, okay, now I'm saving up money to make an investment and go buy a piece of real estate. When I started earning money on the real estate, it went back into the investment account. And then on and on and on. So then the investments... When they produced a rate of return, I didn't have a feast. I put the money back in and invested and invested and invested. And 27 years later, I built a fortune that's gone through a number of major setbacks and recessions and all kinds of things. 
but it's a fortune that allowed me to retire my parents. My father was able to retire at 64 without a dollar in his wallet. And he's 86 years of age and hasn't worked in the last 22 years. What a joy. What a joy. He worked hard his whole life. His son learned a few principles from the richest man in Babylon. He didn't know. One of the blessings, he gets to retire. I got a chance to help and sponsor you know, other members of my family to come to America and start their new life. I've had a chance to go build a business that's impacted millions of people. I've had a chance to build a fortune that my children, I've educated them on, that has allowed them to pursue their dreams and ultimately impact the world in what they want to do. It all started with a portion of all I earned was mine to keep. And it started with 50 bucks every two weeks. I met with a gentleman here the other day and I share with him all these principles. He goes, well, Brian, I'm 52 and I've messed up and I'm in a hurry and he's frustrated and he's a hard worker and he makes a lot of money, but he's broke and he's going to continue to be broke because I could tell just like when Ark had shared with his friends, my answers weren't good enough for him because he wanted something more immediate with a big rate of return and an immediate fix. It's a tough thing when you want to impact somebody's life when you know in your heart of hearts they're walking away and they're not going to do it. So I hope you're the people that will do it. A portion of all you earn is yours to keep. Start with 50 bucks every two weeks. Get it up to 10%. That's the place to start. And then when you get beyond that, you start doing well. You know, for me, I've had the joy in many, many years of saving more than 50% of what I earn. What does that mean? I do not have a lavish lifestyle beyond my earnings. The second principle from the richest man in Babylon is don't give your money to the bricklayer to buy diamonds. So what does that mean? Well, get referrals, find trusted advisor, and ultimately never abdicate your financial decisions to anyone else. If you're thinking of buying or selling a piece of real estate, you should contact Buffini & Company because we have access to the greatest real estate agents in North America, and we'll help you find a great pro. Don't have your Aunt Susie, who has a real estate license, be the one to help you don't get the guy that does one or two mortgages a year but it has his license and he'll help you don't get the pros the only way you can know somebody who's a pro is what's their track record and how well trained are they at buffini company we train phenomenal experts in real estate and lending get a referral if you're going to get financial advice get financial advice from someone who actually has a fortune themselves you're going to get stock decisions and so on and so forth one of the things beverly and i run in as we have a lot of friends in the professional sports world. I'm going to say 60% of the people I've met in the professional sports world are broke and have been swindled out of their money. And the reason is, is they've kind of gone to the bricklayer to ask them to buy diamonds. They've given up control of their finances. They want to do this and they want to do that. They buy in horse farms and they get into car washes and they do this and they, and they buddies and they're recording studios and so on and so forth. And everybody has an idea for their money. But very few of them are smart advice givers. Very few of them have experience to give the athlete what they need. We've seen it over and over and over again. The bottom line is you want to get referrals, find trusted advisors, and never abdicate your financial decisions to anybody else. It's not fair to them. If you say to your stock person or your insurance person or your financial advisor, you got it, you handle it. If they're a really honest, integrous person, that's a very unfair burden you've put on them because you don't want to deal with it. If you're going to invest money, you've got to learn about it. No one will take care of your own money like you will. That's what Milton Friedman said in Free to Choose. So you don't have to know all the lingo and this and any other, but the bottom line is I personally never invest in anything I don't understand, and if I don't understand it, I don't do it. And no matter how good a deal looks, you're investing in the person behind it. 
when somebody comes to you and they go, no one's ever done it before, this is going to be huge, and it's going to have these massive rates of return, all your alarm bells should be going off. Okay? More on that. I have other podcasts dealing with that issue. The third principle is don't expect unreasonable returns from your investments. Albert Einstein said compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it. So somebody comes to you and says, uh, this will get you a 6% return. It's not sexy, but a 6% return will actually double your principal within 12 years. It's called the rule of 72. You divide the rate of return into 72, and that'll tell you how many years it'll take. So 6% into 72 gives you 12 years. And you go, well, uh, 12 years, I'm going to be X number of years old, and that's what I'm going to do. Well, here's the thing. What happens to you when you start earning is, number one, your money starts earning, and then emotionally you start getting in the game. It'll invigorate you. That's what Arkad said in the book. And so you get in the game. So get reasonable returns, and then here it is. You reinvest the returns. You reinvest the returns. That's what compounding interest is. You're not just investing the money, you're investing the interest on the money, the return on the money. And now, all of a sudden, you got a snowball coming down a hill that gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Clayson talked about the return on your investment were the children of your money. And the goal is to turn those children into grandchildren. So your earnings beget more earnings. Okay? So here's how I view it. I don't shave every day, but I'd say five days out of the week I do. And here's what I do when I shave. When I'm shaving, I'm looking in the mirror. I actually see four Brian's. The first Brian is the chairman of Buffinian Company, a for-profit business that makes a very good living that I make my salary from, and I also get the chance to have some bonuses from when the company's doing well. Okay. The next Brian standing looking in the mirror is my real estate holdings Brian. And so that's a company that has all my real estate holdings. And that Brian takes a shave every day. And then he's getting ready to go off to work. And then I have my stock and investments, Brian. And my stock and investments, Brian, he's shaving as well. And he's going off to the stock market that day. Okay? And so I have all of these areas of where my money goes to work. Now, by the way, some days I go to work and I have a bad day. But my real estate, Brian, had a good day. Some days my real estate, Brian, and Brian, the chairman of the Buffini Company, has a bad day, but my stock and investments, Brian, had a good day. And all of a sudden, everybody's going to work. And so we're all winning, and we pull each other up. And sometimes we all do well together. The bottom line is, it's nice to know it's not all on me. I have money going to work for me every day, not just me going to work for me every day. So that's a little visual example that I have that hopefully helps you. Well, there's a lot I could say. I just hope this recording was a blessing to you today. This is a little sample of Brian's bookshelf, and we have many, many, many more great books to bring to you, and I hope this was helpful. I've taught this book to my children. I've shared it with my employees and thousands and thousands of clients. Years ago, Irish Television did a a broadcast on me where they kind of did a documentary called Made in America, and they entitled the show on me was The Millionaire Maker. And what struck them about studying Buffini and Company and studying what we did wasn't about me or what we did or me telling stories from stage or whatever else. What struck these guys was how many people had become successful by the things we were sharing, by the coaches that had helped people and held them accountable and encouraged them and trained them from the people who'd gone through the training programs, the people who'd gone through the seminars and events. And they call it the millionaire maker. And I've got to tell you, 
I wasn't displeased with that branding. I love the idea that I can positively impact somebody's life. I'm a rags to riches guy. I know what it's like to have the electricity turned off. I know what it's like to not be able to pay the phone bill. I know what it's like to have the creditors calling. Because when I first came here and I had my motorcycle accident, boy, those people were after me night and day. And I love the idea that I can help people with some how-tos, dig their way out of a hole, make those phone calls go away, let people start to see progress, the confidence and the self-esteem that comes along with that. And then all of a sudden be in a position where people have peace of mind, where people start tapping into more and more of their God-given abilities and potential and become more successful themselves and then share that with others. It's powerful stuff. And so for me, that's a life well lived. So I hope you enjoyed this first edition of Brian's Bookshelf. I hope you enjoyed it so much. You'll share it with a friend. I hope you'll leave a review for us to let us know what you like. And let us know what you think. You want more of this? What books would you like me to feature? I have my own list, but I'm interested in yours too. So uh, my version of Arcad was my grandfather. And uh, some of his principles have stayed with me my whole life and influenced me. And I always like to end the show by dedicating the show to those who came before me, especially my family. So I leave you with a little blessing. May the roads rise up to meet you. And may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. 